Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray that you would just touch us. We pray, God, that you would bless us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us this word this morning as we prepare to deliver this word. We pray that you would prepare our hearts I pray that each and every one of us individually would make the choice, God, that we would focus upon what your word has to say to us this morning. We thank you for how good you are to us. We thank you for how you bless us. Uh, we thank you for how, Lord, you just continue to show us your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray for the different folks and different families around the area facing hardship, especially uh, the Rhodes family. Lord, we just pray for them. It breaks our heart about this situation, Lord, and we do not understand uh, some of these things that take place, Lord, but we know that everything is in your control, and we thank you for that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for standing, you may be seated. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I wrote at the bottom of my Bible this morning as I was studying this and looking this over, just a little note, atheism is just another word for foolish. Atheism is just another word for foolish. I remember when I was a kid, and, and, and forgive me if this doesn't surprise you, but this surprised me when I was about a seven, eight-year-old boy, I remember standing at the counter of a computer store with my dad and I remember this guy he was standing there working the counter and he had this big tattoo on his on his arm and it said atheist and uh, I'd say if you're going to have something printed on your body you're probably pretty serious about it uh, about whatever it is uh, maybe not maybe maybe not I don't know but I'd say this fellow was pretty serious about having atheist tattooed on his forearm and I remember walking away and how shocked I was growing up in the, in the church and the culture. And uh, everybody knows it was a little different uh, at that time. Things were different uh, 20 years ago. They were not uh, what they are now. Uh, we were in Asheville, but Asheville was different. Um, and uh, that's the only place you saw those types of things. Uh, it was downtown Asheville. And uh, now it just seems so prevalent so everywhere. But it, it just broke my heart and, and can just blew my mind as maybe a seven or eight year old boy that someone would be so uh, bold that they would have that tattooed on their arm man that's a statement to make atheists that's that's what they want everyone to perceive and everyone to see about them is that they do not believe in God remember many years later after I had realized that there was a whole lot of things that were going to surprise me in the world and uh, I realized that uh, I was blessed and sheltered from some things growing up, and I'm thankful to the Lord for that. But as I got older, I realized a guy I worked with, he was reading a book, and his, the title of the book was uh, uh, Ten Reasons Why God is Dead. And he was a proud atheist, and he was proud to uh, uh, study and, and share with people about why 
he believed that God was dead, why he believed that God did not exist or why God has never existed. He was so proud of that. And that's a, that's a challenging thing when you come across someone that is that way. It's one thing to come across a lost person that just, well, they, you know, there may be a God. That may be true. The Bible may be true, but also it may not be true. Uh, it's different to come across somebody that's lost and says, well, yeah, I believe God's real, but uh, I just don't believe, you know, I don't get in all that religion stuff. Or uh, it's different to come across somebody who says, well, I'm too, too much of a sinner to uh, be a part of church. I'm too much of a sinner to believe in God. And I'm sure we've seen all these different varieties and all the di these different kinds of people, but the people who are blatantly and 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 almost arrogantly in your face about God is not real or God is dead or God no, does not exist, that's a, that's a different type of person to deal with, amen? You ever dealt with that? Well, what does the Bible say about them? The Bible says they're a fool. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth God doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Man, that wrecks modern theology right there. The idea that uh, that, that it's, it's in us, our, our, you know, all God has for us and all God wants, all of, our, all of the goodness that God has for our life is within us. Uh, that, that verse right there wrecks that idea. And it doesn't take much digging uh, among televangelists today to find somebody that will tell you that the goodness in your life is already inside of you. You just, you just have to do, go to this church or go to this place or go here or go there uh, and, and seek uh, you know, this council will seek this church or be around these people and then your goodness is going to come out. The Bible tells me that there's no one that's good. And see, I, I, th I think that's a key to understanding. Uh, uh, you know, there are people that, hey, they, they are morally, they do good things. I, I've, met, I've met people who, are, who, who claim to be atheists. I don't think they're as dedicated to it as they think they are. But I've met people that are, that are nice people and they do some moral things. They, they, they claim to be atheists, and they claim they do not believe, believe in God, but they, they're morally, they, they're morally sound. I remember a guy that, that had claimed he didn't believe in God. We give him too much money at the bank. I didn't give him too much money. Somebody else gave him too much money. I usually shorted him money. Um, but uh, somebody gave him too much money, and he came back, and he said, Here, uh, you, gave me, you gave me $25 too much money. And there's some Christian people. I would wonder if they... Would walk back in the door. They some Baptist people. I wonder if they'd walk back in the door. So I mean, the the the, the just actual morality aspect aside, that's that's the sad thing is that the sad thing is that there are people who are morally they'll uphold moral standards, they will uh, uphold a right and wrong, but in their heart they say God is not real. And the Bible tells us that they're foolish. Why? Why, why does that attitude exist? It exists because of sin. What, the proof to me that sin exists and sin is prevalent is that God looks down upon this earth and he sees that there is no one that does good. 
There's no good person upon the earth. Anybody in here that has anything good, that possesses anything good, it comes from Jesus. Amen? It comes from him. And so the idea that, that your goodness is just waiting for you to unlock it, that's, that's hogwash. The goodness inside of you is the goodness given and instilled by Jesus Christ. And, and the thing is, is that goodness goes beyond a moral obligation. I'm morally, uh, I, I'm, I, I will return money if I'm given too much money. Morally, I will uh, try to help someone in need. Morally, that moral stuff, hey, we, we need to be good people. We need to be moral people, moral Christian people. But the only thing good inside of me is Jesus. And so, as we continue on, look at verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? I want you to look first at uh, the traits of the unbeliever. The traits of the unbeliever. This is what we see in people who do not believe on Jesus. The traits of the unbeliever. Well, first there's depravity. Verse 1, it tells us that they are corrupt people. It tells us that they are corrupt people. They are not people that in their nature, they, are, they have no good about them. They have no uh, goodwill about them, rather. There's, there's not a uh, moral obligation to be found. There's not, uh, they're, 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 they're sleazy people. They're dirty people. They're wicked people. There's certainly a depravity in our world today that we can see. And I believe each passing day as I spend more time around people, as I watch at a distance our society, uh, we just, we, we've got worse at hiding the depravity. Amen? I mean, used to people uh, would hide the, the sin and would hide things because uh, they were afraid of, of society. They were afraid of being judged by society. And now the... The idea is that, well, well, kind of, I remember the idea kind of transitioned to, well, only God can judge me. Anybody ever heard that? I had a friend that got that tattooed on his arm, and he, and he said, you know, I regret getting that specific thing uh, put on my body because now I realize that's a really bad thing, that God can judge me. That's not, that's a bad thing. And now the idea, it, it's not a concern at all. Nobody can judge me. God doesn't exist. We see this foolish decline in our society. We go from I used to care what people think in church. Or in my my look at it, looking at it this way, the social aspect, the church originally in the United States of America, the church was a meeting place for the community for everything. You'd meet in the church and you'd have town halls and you'd have conversations and there'd be votes and there'd be a community aspect and, and everybody just like how many of you are from right around this area right here in Tuxedo. I realize I'm a transplant when I'm down here. But many of you are right around from this area, right around miles down the road. You're invested in this community, right? And, and society used to care what other people in the community thought. Well, I'm not going to go say this to somebody because I don't want everybody to think I'm this way. Or I'm not going to uh, maybe go 
uh, do this to somebody or say this in front of somebody or, or get mad at somebody or, or, or I'm not going to send my, I'm not going to wear this out or I'm not going to drive this out or I'm not going to go buy this at the store because people see this and it's a shame on me. Well, that changed beyond caring what you think. Well, only God can judge me. And that's a foolish thought. And here we are now, no one can judge me. And it's almost like society as a whole just denies God exist, God's existence. And there's no shame for anything. We don't care. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people perceive. I don't care what... People don't care, do they? Do they? Go to Walmart. People don't care. I promise you that. My dad always said, you need to look like something when you're going to go out, son. Go look like something. Tuck your shirt in. Get made fun of when you go to school for tucking your shirt in. Now I'm like, Lord have mercy. People, they don't care. People don't care. And it goes beyond what you look like, right? I want people to see me and, and I, I represent my home. I represent my family. I represent uh, the Lord. And I want people to see me. Now, I, hey, I don't wear a suit all the time. If I ain't in a suit in church, I got a hat on and I dress like most of y'all. That's just how I am. But I look like something, right? I care what people perceive and I care what people think. I don't know why I'm going off on this. I'm sorry. But we're already there, so we're keeping on. But we've gone beyond just, just the, the physical perception. Deep down inside, we, society, does not care what people think about our sin. No care, no concern. And that's a shame because the church is setting the standard for the society. We don't care. Now, hey, I serve a Savior that can forgive anything, amen? I serve a, a, a Savior who abounds in grace, and he abounds in mercy, and he abounds in love. You know, that encourages me to, to be a dedicated follower of Jesus because I know that he has forgiveness for anything that I can throw at him, and I thank the Lord for that. But I think that I should care what I start, what I'm throwing at him because of how good he is, amen? I don't want to use my, my liberty as a license to sin. But our society and the society outside of the church just ever more, ever more sinking and falling and falling and, and, and to the point where, where things are done and sin is committed just to spit and spot God. And the Bible tells us those are foolish things. That's the depravity of our society today. That's how far our society has fallen. People uh, complain about how there, there's a lack of Bibles in the schools or there's a lack of biblical instruction in the church or in, in, in the public. What do they do? They erect satanic symbols and satanic uh, uh, statues and satanic things and they have uh, witch worship days and all these crazy things that go on in society and it is to spit in the face of God. That's the depravity of society. Bibles tell me that these people that deny God, they're corrupt people. That's the depravity of the unbeliever. i got to hurry here. Look at the defilement of the unbeliever. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men, verse 2, to see if there was any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become what? 
filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. The defilement of these, these people. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. This society that, that David's in here too is a falling and a slipping society where uh, there's so much wickedness and it's so prevalent and, and God's people are, are, are under the, the thumb of, of su subjected to, to wicked things and they're subjected to evil people and they're subjected to evil thoughts and evil ideas. That's a defilement of the unbeliever. Look at the disposition or the attitude in verse 4 of the unbeliever. Have a, uh, uh, we see that their disposition and their attitude is against Christian people. Do we not see that today? The attitude is against. I, I see articles all the time. You know, If you've got a, a, any kind of browser on your, your computer, you pull up something and it'll pop up news articles and have things for you to read. That's about the most news articles that I, that I read. And most of them, I just read them because it's the shock factor of this is how crazy someone is. Um, and I saw one the other day. It was uh, the, the soccer girl, the, the woman that, the soccer star, whatever. I, I don't know if she's a star or not, but anyway, soccer player. That uh, she said that that the fact that she she was injured playing soccer, and that proved to her that God wasn't real because she got injured playing soccer. My goodness, the judgment of God has fell down. I mean, there's a lot worse that can happen than not being able to play soccer. But to her, that was proof that God wasn't real. That's foolish. That's the disposition. That's the idea of our society today is if I don't get my way, then that proves God's not real. we got to be careful because Christian people can start feeling that way about some things. That's a whole other rabbit trail we're not going down. That's the disposition of the unbeliever. That's the attitude of the unbeliever. That's the ideas of the unbeliever. Look at the tendencies of the unbeliever in verse 5. These tendencies are, they're uneasy. They were in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteousness, of, of the righteous. You see, we even, even going back to when we talked about persecution, God's people, saved people, genuine people, sinners that are living victorious, sinners that, are, that sin and they go through hardship and then God forgives them and they're restored and they're, they're happy and they're excited. People, when you go to church, go to work and you're excited to go to church, when you go to work and you're excited about your Bible and there's people that are nasty towards you, it's because they have an uneasy tendency towards God. They can't handle the fact that you got something that allows you to be content in this dark world. So if you wonder, wonder why, every time I say something, this person's angry. Every time I say something, this person's unhappy. Every time I say something, this person's throwing stones at me. It is because they're uneasy that you're happy through a difficult time. It makes them uncomfortable. And guess what? That's okay. That's actually ideal. Because if they can be uncomfortable that you're comfortable, that might make them think, man, they got something I ain't got. They already know that, but that may make them inclined to listen a little bit more. You see, the, it, isn't it the goodness and the grace of God that wins so many people to, to, to Jesus? I mean, it just, it just does. People, you, you, you may be the testimony in somebody's life because they're uneasy that you're happy. You come in, you say, man, I just found out I had cancer, but you know what? God's good. That makes them uncomfortable. 
Well, guess what? We just, we just had a, a young person in the community die, but we know uh, that he's in heaven. Praise God. That makes the world uncomfortable. Well, guess what? My marriage just blew into 2,557 pieces, but God is good. Guess what? That makes the world uncomfortable. My children have disowned me, and they've, they've ran away, and they're out living in the world. But guess what? God is good, and he is faithful, and he's going to take care of it. That makes the world uneasy because when they go through those things, they ain't got a thing to lean on. You see, we're going through the same stuff. We've just got a different answer. We have the same hardships in, in, in many cases as the world. We just have different assurance. We go through different trials and we go through different troubles, but a lot of them are the same thing. We just have different answers. And that makes the world uneasy. They're uneasy. The, the unbeliever, they are uneasy against Christians. In verse 6, Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. They're uneasy and they're unsettled people. They, they're unsettled in the fact that they can't handle it. They can't look at you and you're happy. I remember I've told the story and I'm going to tell it again. Pastor that I knew, he was at this time my age, maybe a year younger, but he had testicular cancer. And he was a, he was a janitor at a public high school. No better place for him to be at that time in his life. Could you imagine the testimony, how God could use someone going through cancer, 26, 27, 28, 29 years old, in a public high school, a Christian person? What a testimony. And I remember seeing him at the grocery store, and I've told you this, and he was, I mean, he's already a, a skinny feller, but he was down to nothing. I said, brother, how you doing? And he said, God has been so good to me. I can't, even, I can't even explain how good God's been. Didn't talk about the cancer. Didn't talk about losing his hair. Didn't talk about being a string bean. He just said, God has been so good to me. I can't even begin to explain all he's done. You see, that makes the world unsettled. Because even, think about this, even the thought of somebody being an atheist. Being an atheist means that you deny that there is a God, right? In, in its most simplest terms, being an atheist, you're denying the existence of God. If you have a feeling inside of you that tries to deny the existence of God, that means that you have accepted the fact that there is an alternative to what you think. In other words, if I'm thinking, I, hey, I'm going to deny, I, it's hard to explain because it's hard to believe. It's hard to understand why somebody would believe this way. But you... As an atheist, you say, there is no God. God does not exist. But to say that, you must know that there's an alternative to your viewpoint. You must know that there is a case where God is real. And God does exist. And Jesus did come. And Jesus did die. Jesus was resurrected. That's why they're unsettled people is because there is an existence of millions of things upon this earth that prove God's existence. There is an abundance of people that believe in Jesus Christ and genuinely are Christian people that, that exemplify the truth of the Bible. 
in front of them. They know there's an alternative. They know that there's an, another way of thinking. They know that there are people that believe as strongly the other way as they believe against God. That's why they're unsettled. Is because you have all this, this proof against you. And very, very little ground to stand upon. You start arguing with them. Say, somebody that would say, I do not believe God exists. I do not believe God's real. I've heard God's dead because of this. It's usually because of a traumatic experience. And I, I won't downplay what these people went through. The, the atheists that I've talked to, they've had some bad things happen. They've had some bad things happen in church. One guy that I talked to was an atheist family, in my family, actually. You go to church every Sunday with your, your parents, and mom and dad are up in the choir. And you go home, and get, dad, dad, as soon as you get home, dad gets drunk and beats you till you're black and blue. What kind of testimony is that? I'm telling you what, there's some things Christians have done that have turned people against believing in the existence of God. And they can't see the goodness of God because they, hey, I get to go back and think about a home where we saw the goodness of God. If I didn't have that, my, my faith might not be strong at all. But I'm telling you what, somebody on Sunday morning tell me God's real and God's good and beat on me when I get home, I'd have a hard time too. When you talk to a lot of these people, there's, there's a pretty, pretty stiff reason for why they do not believe in God. But they're unsettled. Because I believe deep down, there's a tugging. There's a tugging. You see, Daddy might have been that way, but the preacher, he wasn't that way. Daddy might have been that way, but their Sunday school teacher, she wasn't that way. Daddy might have been that way, but the little man down the road, he wasn't that way. They've seen real, and they've seen fake. And that's why God holds them accountable just the same. You say, well, here's a sob story. Here's a sad story. Here's a, here's a difficult situation. Here's a traumatic story. They're still held accountable for saying God does not exist, even though something bad happened to them. Say, well, how's that fair? Well, because guess what? The, someone that will profess God on one side and spit on you and beat you down on the other, they may not know God for real themselves. There's somebody out there that does. There's somebody out there that's genuine. There's somebody out there that's real. And their testimony is what has to shine through. And what makes people unsettled is because there's a tugging inside saying he is real. And he is true. And he is pure. So they're unsettled. They shame the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. They're unsettled because there's proof otherwise for what they believe. And they're unsettled because you find your joy in Jesus. Look at verse 7. We're almost to the, to the message here. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. 
we saw the traits of the unbeliever and the tendency of the believer. The, the last tendency here is they're uneasy people. They're unsettled people. And guess what? One day they're going to be uncovered people. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. One day, all of the ideas, the notions, the thoughts, the theologies, the belief systems, all of the things that dwell upon this earth will be wholly and completely uncovered. There's a day coming soon. I always think, when I think about soon, ain't nobody singing like a little black choir. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Guess what? Soon and very soon, he's coming to see us. And guess what? All this junk on this earth gets uncovered. And all the ideas of people get uncovered. And all the notions of man, they get uncovered. And all the deceit of people, they get uncovered. And all the beliefs of your heart, they get uncovered. And guess what? They're tested and they're tried by the word of God. That's a sobering thought right there, or should be. That's the tendency of the unbeliever. That's why they're uneasy. That's why they're unsettled is because one day all they say and all they believe and all they think, it will be uncovered. All right, we're going to get into the message here. The triumph of the believer in verse 7. So we're contrasting from the unbeliever to the believer. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. The triumph of the believer. Well, first, the triumph of the believer comes from the Savior. Zion, referencing, thinking of Jerusalem. Who come out of Jerusalem? Who's the, 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 the one, the salvation of Israel that came out of Zion? That's Jesus. He's the one sent through and by God's chosen place for God's chosen people. He's delivered out of the specific family, out of the specific bloodlines. He specifically uh, uh, comes in a specific way. I mean, all the way down to the details of where he's born, how he would die, where he would be buried. All those things are very specifically laid out. And there's a lot of people that deny and they do not believe any of this stuff. Anything that this word contains, anything that you believe about the word of God, they do not believe it. They would not even entertain it. But guess what? The believer triumphs over the unbeliever. Not that we glorify in those things because guess what? I would love to see every unbeliever become a believer. But the truth is, is that we triumph because our death is not our end. It's just our beginning. And our triumph comes through our Savior. The one, the salvation of Israel, will come out of Zion. Isn't that a wonderful picture that all the way back to David's day, that he knew and believed that the Messiah would come? I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. He saw that down through the, 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 the ages and he, he was burdened and he felt that. You know what? That, that's another thing that makes people uneasy. You start talking about Jesus coming back. Man. My goodness. This would come as a thief in the night. When it's least expected. When, that's why we're to be busy. That's why we're to be about his business. That's why we're to be focused upon his word. 
is because in, in, the, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, he could return. Just as soon as you let your guard down, the trump could sound. That makes people uneasy. That makes people uncomfortable. The second triumph of the believer is over sin. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Guess what? We are, we're sojourners in a place that is not our home. Amen? I'm not at home here. I'm not home here because I'm held down by sickness and I'm held down by sin. And it all has to start with sin. My sickness is I can get sick because of my sin. I get distracted. It's all because of my sin. Guess what? My sin is what creates every, uh, everything that's uncomfortable, everything that's uh, uh, undesirable, everything that, that is, is unnecessary, everything that, that I dread, everything that I hate, everything that I don't like in this life is a product of human sin. So how does sin cause all that? It's, it's pretty simple. God created man. Sin because of man's disobedience. And it didn't take long. Pretty quickly, man was disobedient to God. And Eve was as guilty as Adam, and Adam was as guilty as Eve, amen? Ain't going to blame it on nobody. Don't get to ride, the, the, don't get to ride the, your spouse at home about that. Well, you, you caused this, you got, no. Man is as guilty as woman. Woman is as guilty as man as fallen into sin. And God told Adam and Eve over in the garden that, guess what, death comes into play. Their physical death comes into play. They, at that point in time, went from being a, a, a creation that was, was as close to perfect as, as possible. They went from, from that, uh, that, that being to being someone who can die. Woman was told that she would, uh, she would have pain in childbirth. And man, we're so blessed. We were blessed with the sweat of our brow. Is our curse, amen? Well, there's a price to pay. Everything uncomfortable, everything difficult. I, just the fact that we can get sick and we can get down, I feel, I feel like a horse that needs to be put down tomorrow, but really wished it'd be today, just to be honest with you. But guess what? It all goes back to my sin. I can get sick because I'm a creature that's a dying creature. I'm an imperfect creature. I'm, I'm falling apart because of my sin. I, 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 I get hot. I get cold. It's because of my sin. Because of my sin nature, I feel these feelings of being uncomfortable. You say, you're crazy. Well, guess what? You think you would be angry or sad or cry or, or, or people would die if we, were, if we weren't sinful? It's sin that affords all these negative things. And guess what? The triumph of the believer is the fact that one day we will be brought from this captivity that we're in. And when we're transformed into our spiritual bodies and we're transformed into being with Jesus forever, we let go of all those things. There's no sadness. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more work. There's no more hurt. There's no more pain. There's no more labor and childbirth. There's no more crying. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. We don't have to hear about a little five-year-old boy that passes on to heaven. We'll get to be in heaven with that little boy. Uh, we won't see grandma and grandpa pass away one day and change our entire lives. We'll get to be with them in heaven forevermore. We triumph over sin. Oh, what a beautiful thing that is. Any discomfort you can think of on this earth will be gone. Now there's some work I like. Maybe we'll get to do it in heaven. 
I, my philosophy is I'll get to be a farmer in heaven. So why do you say that? That was Adam's job before he sinned. It's to tend the garden and to tend the animals. You say, well, you're crazy. That's all right. You've known it since before you elected me to be your pastor and you still elected me. So there's some stuff that's good. There's some work that I like. There's some work I'll happily do. But man, this stuff that I dread and the stuff that I hate, I ain't going to have to do it again. The stuff that you don't have to worry. Can you imagine going to, going to dinner and you know your mother-in-law's going to be there and you ain't even stressing about it? So I don't know if she'll be in heaven. That's, that's between you and the Lord. Can you imagine not worrying about having confrontations with people? Can you imagine not having to worry about being uncomfortable? Can you imagine there's no hot, there's no cold, there's no sick? Praise the Lord. I'm going to Florida, Lord willing, in a few weeks. And the way things have been going, if I don't die in an airplane crash, when I get down there, it's supposed to be 80 degrees. I'm hoping to get rid of some junk I got inside of me. I'm hoping that heat will kill it. I may just stay down there. I, I don't know. But this life, is it not an ever-ending surge to make ourselves more comfortable? I mean, it is. Guess what? When you triumph over sin, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Bringeth back the captivity of, of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Now, this is, this is God's people in celebration that they're reunited, that they're together again. But guess what? The last thing we triumph over is separation. That loved one that went on to be with Jesus this past year, five years, 20, 20 years ago, a child, maybe you never saw their face. They passed before they were even born. Maybe that family member that died when you were young. Ancestors that you've never met were separated from them if they're in heaven, right? Guess what? You triumph over sin. You triumph over separation. Most importantly... We get to be with Jesus. Can you imagine? The song, I can only imagine, is so fitting for that thought. I can only imagine. But if you, if you take time to think about it, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandparents, loved ones, most importantly, Jesus. In this moment, we're separated from somebody. There's somebody that's not here breathing on this earth right now. That They were at one point in time. Guess what? We triumph over those things. Why? Because we're believers in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing it is. That separation is there no longer. And most importantly, we get to be with Jesus. And that's what affords us to triumph over our sin. That's what affords us to triumph over the separation. Is because of him.